0: Welcome to Graycast, exploring the world of Greyhawk one podcast at a time. This podcast is all about bringing the classic world of Greyhawk setting to life through Greyhawk creators, Greyhawk lore, Greyhawk streamers, Greyhawk stories, and of course the vibrant Greyhawk community of gamers. Thank you for tuning in and let the exploration of Dungeons & Dragons' most classic and revered setting, The World of Greyhawk, begin now. Welcome, fellow Greyhawkians, to another episode of Greycast, the only podcast I'm aware of that uh, addresses all cool things in the classic D&D setting, The World of Greyhawk. This is, of course, your old buddy, Wiley Hobbit. Uh, Mateus is unable to join us for this evening's conversation, but thankfully for you, I will not be sitting here talking to myself because I don't think anyone wants that. Instead, uh, we've got our good friend, Rob, or Phantom NJ, as he's known across the interwebs. Uh, Rob, how's it going, my friend?
1: very well, Scott. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: That's long overdue, long overdue as a... uh, a uh, friend and stalwart and quite active member of the Greyhawk community, we are thrilled to be able to uh, include you in an interview on our little podcast. So we're going to be talking to Rob tonight um, about Greyhawk, um, but in particular, Rob is a big fan and he's kind of turning me into a fan of the Castles and Crusades gaming system from Lord Games. And if I understand this correctly, you actually run a game, an ongoing game in Greyhawk in Castles and Crusades. Is that correct?
1: As a matter of fact, I do. Uh, every Friday night in the uh, Blue Box RPG Discord, yeah. uh, it's we're, we're running it over two years now the game has wow. been going.
0: That is awesome. Well, we're going to dive into that and more uh, as we get into this. But the first thing we always like to ask our guests after thanking them for coming on, which we're absolutely grateful to you to, to take some time with us, uh, Rob, but, but tell us a little bit about how you got going with D and D you know, what was the first setting you played in, you know, what's your, your Greyhawk history. Like, tell us a little bit about that.
1: So I started D and D very at a really young age. Um, my cousin had the had the books uh first edition uh you know ad and D first edition books uh he had the old covers you know mm-hmm. the, the original covers and i don't remember how it started it may have been you know we had seen the books in his room and it looked really cool and you know what's that uh he taught my brother and me how to play and um you know so i i think we probably played with him twice uh, before you know we wanted to be able to play by ourselves so uh, we bought the Dungeon Master's Guide without realizing that you kind of needed the player's handbook and the monster manual <laughs> yeah. to play. So there began my uh, journey into Dungeon Mastering. <laughs> right. Because yeah, by the time event. I think we were able to save up enough allowance or whatever, or just get my parents to buy us the, uh, the other book that we needed, uh, I, I think I had read the Dungeon Master's Guide from cover to cover, uh, basically searching for ways to kind of make it work even though you know we didn't have the other books yet. Uh so you know lots of interesting stuff there. And that I mean this all happened before I you know before I was even nine, ten years old. <laughs> oh wow. So an early start. Yeah, yeah. We 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 started we started very early. Um so yeah I, I guess you know after that as far as Greyhawk itself, we didn't you know Greyhawk was an interesting journey because in the player's handbook, you had all these spells Mm
0: -hmm. and they had
1: all these interesting names. And um, I don't remember the exact, um, you know, what the exact order was, but I know I had early on, I had the rogues gallery, which had stat blocks for all these wizards and all these characters that were names in the player's handbook. And some of them were magic items in the dungeon master's guide named after them and all this, I was like, this is really cool, and oh, there's a setting—the world of Greyhawk—that's mentioned on. It was mentioned on some of the modules on the back covers, and didn't never saw the folio. I didn't realize the folio was a thing until, really, honestly, only a f- like a few years ago. <laughs> uh, but the uh, local hobby shop, and the, you know that that in itself is an interesting story. The local hobby shop actually had the Gold Box set. Uh, bought that and you know the greyhawk journey really really began right because it was land of mordenkainen and tensor and otoluk and all of them
0: so boy oh boy early start eight nine years old that's pretty cool man yeah um and and a lot of folks have have described just like you have you know hey i had an older relative or an older sibling who had the books and hey what is that and and then
1: we got hooked just like that. So the funny thing is after those like first two sessions, I don't think we ever played D and D with them again. I don't know <laughs> that it was ever, I, I honestly don't know that it was ever mentioned again, which was kind of odd because my brother and I, it, it, my parents loved the fact that we could just take our books and disappear yeah. into another room Quietly. and they could go to a party. They could enjoy the party. And we were the, we were the perfect gen X children.
0: Not seen, not heard. <laughs> right, man, can relate. Yeah, we were all at one house and the party was at another house. And Yeah, I had a similar uh, experience with that, Rob, because uh, my little circle of friends, we discovered we discovered d a little bit later. But we did the exact same thing when all of our parents, you know, who lived kind of on the block would get together for their Friday or Saturday uh, affair. We would be in one of the other homes playing d d and they never had to worry about us getting in any trouble because we were, you know, nerding out around a table, eating chips and drinking, you know, Pepsi
1: all night. Oh they they would take us a family we'd bring our books to family gatherings and oh, go nice. into a room in the house so all the adults could go and do whatever they were doing and nice. you know they, they they would call us when it was time to eat <laughs> yeah yeah cuz it's easy it to forget go. to
0: eat you know when you're when you're playing D&D everything else kind of takes a back seat yeah. so. man that's awesome so a rich history indeed so um sounds like you started DMing at a pretty early age too
1: yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of the if I didn't VM, there wasn't going to be a game because I, you know, I, I try to remember adventures that my brother might have actually run, but there were long periods of time where he would. It was just the two of us. Okay, uh, we had time from time to time. We would pick up a friend or two mm-hmm. and get them going in the game, and uh, it got a little better when we got to like seventh or eighth, uh, you know, seventh or eighth grade. Uh, finding finding a couple of friends who wanted mm-hmm. to play, but early on, if you know, for a long time, it was just him and me. So, so did I, you guys flesh out the party with uh,
0: like companions for the player, or how'd you do that, or just?
1: just- oh, we would have multiple character. Yeah, we'd be controlling multiple characters, yeah. and yeah, there, there there are times when we do an adventure, and the adventure would basically be have uh, kind of like an arena where we just throw monster, pick pick mo- random monsters out of the right. monster manual and. Have and have the party go. go at them, and yeah, you know, sometimes we do. You know, we would do one of the published adventures, the you know, various modules. Yeah, um, had gotten a bunch of them over the years, and so so those were cool. But it it it, it varied. But like a lot of the time, or especially early on, it was just him and me. Yeah, and we had a whole lot of characters written up. Oh,
0: that's awesome! Yeah, it's such a good. I have such fond memories of of. Uh, you yeah, know, I kind of started in at about age fourteen, but I have such fond memories of Ding and the, the just the the escape from you know the normal life stuff and you just lose eight hours you know on a Saturday oh, afternoon, sure. you know, just gone. Um loved it. Yeah, I loved it. So so let's fast forward a little bit and when did you uh get interested cuz obviously, you know, you've been playing a long time cuz you know, 8 9 years old was a, was a while ago. You're what mm-hmm. like, you know, 20 now, 25.
1: Like, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> um, so, some, some multiplier there or there yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah, I feel that one. Um, how did you get hooked up with Castles and Crusades? Like when, how, why? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So, uh I mean, you know, they they had been sponsors of the various Twitch streams for a while. Mhm. And really, it it kind of started when um, the pandemic started, wow. because they put the player's handbook. Um, now, one of the important things about Castle and Crusades is they don't have editions. Right, uh, they have they have printings. Now, the printings there'll be variations in the printings. They'll move some stuff around. You know, they'll add the different errata that they found. They might add new content to it, and there's normally new artwork. But the the main thing is a first printing of the player's handbook should be just as viable today as it was back right. then yeah they don't like uh,
0: retool the game or or change major aspects it more feels to me like it just kind of evolves like they add things to it or like you said the errata they, they correct things
1: yeah and, and, and i mean they, they might tweak things like if there's something that's obviously broken right now now it's really really minor tweaks or something that they can clear up they might redo the wording a bit but um they don't you know, it, it, it's the main thing is there. The core game is the player's handbook, right? Anything in the player's handbook is considered, you know, this is, these are what the rules are. And now the rules, even there, they're intentionally kept vague at times. So you can basically play it how you want mm-hmm. Um anything else that they print and there's, they've got a whole mess of stuff um Boy, did for, he. you know, to add to the game. Uh, the Castle Keepers guide, which is their equivalent of the DM's guide, um, is full of all kinds of things that you would expect to find uh, ideas on how to run a game and such. But all the rules that are in there are all considered optional. Mm-hmm. They give all different kinds of ideas, like how you might want to handle magic use, because um, you know, the base like base wizards in uh, Castle Crusades use fancy and magic, you know, old school fire and forget you know, you have to memorize the spell multiple times. Right. You want to use it multiple times. Um, uh, but it's, you know, fire and forget, uh, but they have like different options and you, know, you can take what you want, use what you want and leave the rest of it. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's a game that is very, very customizable. Um, it uses, you know, D20 for non-combat, uh, you know, adjudication of things. Um, the you know, one of the things to note for the 5e players out there is Castle and Crusades was doing attribute checks long before 5e ever, mm. ever came along. Interesting, yeah. Um, except, except there's no, um, there's no middleman, it is straight to the attribute. You know, you're doing an intelligence check, you're doing oh, right, yeah. They don't have the like strength skills, check.
0: yeah. It's yeah, there's, it's there's no perception,
1: attribute. yeah. Now, they'll have skills that the classes will have. But even those skills are a straight at you know it's an attribute check. Right. Okay. Yeah. The but uh, they were giving away they were giving away the P 3 free, which, and you know when it kind of ended up happening, I was like, all right, well this is this is something I want to look into, um, because I really never got myself. I, I had played other TTRPGs as a kid. Um, you know some of the Palladium games, uh, Robotech, mm-hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you know, various other types of games of different rule sets, mm-hmm. but I had never found a reason to play a D&D game that wasn't D&D. Right. I still have all my first edition books. I still have all my second edition books. Um, You know, I skipped third edition for life reasons. Um, And I, you know, I have fourth and fifth edition books, but it wasn't until Castle Crusades that I was playing a D&D game with, you know, that wasn't D&D.
0: Right, right. Now that, um, Castles and Crusades, do you do you happen to know like when that first published? 2004. Like general time frame. Oh, four. So it's been around almost 20 years. Yes. One, one thing I learned, um, I managed to get to GaryCon this past year in March. Of course, you and I got to sling some mm-hmm. dice together face to face. That was very cool. And in fact, you DM'd us through. Uh, I got to play two of your Castles and Crusades games at GaryCon. But one other cool thing that happened um is I got to meet kind of the head cheese at Troll Lord Games, Stephen Chenault. Yes. Uh, they had a big uh, big booth there, picked up uh, the uh, Codex of Erd, which is another setting um, that that uh, Mr. Chenault had created. But one thing I learned that I didn't know was that Stephen Chenault was actually quite close with Gary Gygax. Um, and Trollard I- Cold Lord
1: Games was the last company that Gary Gygax worked with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty cool. And so it's like, well, why would you create a gaming system when there's D&D that is so close to D&D? But- the feel I get playing Castles and Crusades is it feels like 1e2e or Basic Edition. It's like kind of stripped down. Like you said, the the skill checks aren't specific skills; they're always tied back to your primary attributes. Um, so, tell me a little bit about how, or tell our listeners how C&C is so much like Basic D&D, but not as uh,
1: doesn't have the kind of the little quirky complexities like Thacko and so forth. So so going back to it mostly lies in the way uh, classes and even, you know, even the different races are are done where, you know, especially for classes, you know what you're getting at every level. It's not, you know, there's no subclasses. There's no um, there's no trying to figure out like third edition introduce like the skill trees. There's no skill trees right. to worry about. Yeah, It's like the opposite uh,
0: of where Pathfinder yeah, went. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it, it stayed more in the uh, first edition, second edition mindset where you had your base class and your base class, you knew what you're going to get every level. Um, You knew how your class was going to progress. And it was up to you to decide how you were going to differentiate yourself from, you know, all the other players in your part for your particular class. uh, But it also kept it. The nice thing is, it kept it simple enough that it made it very easy to add on. Like, I if I really wanted to, I could take all of my second edition. You, you had the series of complete Book of uh, Paladins. Book oh of yeah, Greece the handbooks. Yeah, the handbooks. You could you could take all of those and you could pop that onto CNC with minimal work because mm-hmm. it it's the the core game is simple enough and straightforward enough that. You don't have to worry about what's going to break like you do in other games. Like uh, you know, I mean, 5e 5e's made a huge impact in the, you know, creating new subclasses, custom subclasses, right. And this and that. And the 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 problem comes in the fact that 5e is so tightly um you know put together that it's very easy to um, have unintended consequences, right? If you're not careful, and well, I think you it, said the it best you
0: you can yeah. break something by changing in one subclass. All of a sudden, it affects another one, or breaks, or a spell changes, it yeah. breaks something else. Yeah, and, and
1: even even in the base rules, you know, I mean, I'm never I've never been one to go hardcore rules as written. Five um, E, I've probably been hardcore rules as written in Five E than any other one that I've ever run, just because there's the okay what breaks if i decide to you know change this
0: sure yeah yep that's fair and it's interesting because a lot of dnd players look at 5e is pretty simple like it's evolved um less crunchy away from like 3.5 and 4e like you mentioned the skills trees and how especially like pathfinder even took that even further how you can really make a character incredibly unique you know, the characters kind of become like snowflakes and that no no two rogues are the same with all the different skills and, and things you can do. And in C&C, it's even simpler and more straightforward than, than D&D 5th Edition.
1: I, I think 5th Edition started simpler where it ended up because, you know, they started yeah. adding, each of the Splat books that came out added something new. Right. And, you know, it, it was one of those things when those books came out, people wanted to use them. They They were... It, more than anything else, you know, the in earlier editions you had the complete, you know, those complete handbooks for the different classes, the races and such. But it was always understood that those were optional. Right. Um. The the way that Five E especially has released books, they no longer feel optional. It, it you have everything kind of becomes canon. Yeah, it, yeah, and and it's no longer. It, there's now a lot of things uh, to consider when you're building your character. So it does become crunchier in mm-hmm. for me. It's come the wrong way. Um, you know, one of the interesting things I, I looked at and I had forgotten how much I enjoyed this kind of uh, I'm not the biggest crunch person, but I like things that makes, you know, makes sense. And mm-hmm. the fact that in D and D five E, that there's only one type of shield. I mean, you can probably decide what you want that shield to be, but there's one shield fits all right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Shield. which, which just like blows my mind. <laughs> it's like uh, it, it doesn't matter if a gnome is you know a gnome, a barbarian, or, you know whatever whoever's holding that shield, it could be a Goliath holding the shield it's is, it's to still yeah. shield, yeah, um, you know, I, I mean, I don't necessarily need it to be, you know, steel shield versus wood shield. Now that that's to me, that's more flavor and whether or not you care about shield the damage the shield is taking and such, right. but, um, you know, like in CNC, they've got, there's a difference, the, the different sizes of the shields and some of the different shield types. They're all the same AC or I've most of them are the same AC, but how many people or how many mobs it's effective against changes. Yeah. A small, a small shield might only be effective against one mob where you might be facing three. Um, a medium, I think a medium is two and a large might be three i or it might be it it might have to do with um i don't remember and then they've got tower shields and such so right it there's there's more to consider there it it brings without going overboard in crunch it brings more to you know more to the table
0: yeah it seems more realistic like you said it's more realism yeah yeah nice all right so so now let's kind of combine the two so how long have you been running Greyhawk? because I know you uh from streaming and you know, you've got your channel the Phantom NJ channel we'll get all your particulars at the end of the uh episode um I know you're a Greyhawk guy um uh, mm-hmm. I see you playing in it quite a lot whether it's on blue box or on Jay's channel and Lord Gazumba or on your own channel mm-hmm. when so how long have you been
1: running CNC um through Greyhawk uh for one shots it probably in, in terms of one shots it probably happened almost Immediately when the pandemic started, when I started running various one shots in Greyhawk, mm-hmm. um, I, I I think I might have at the beginning I might have run one or two that were five e and then as soon as I got comfortable with CNC, I, I don't remember. Well, no, I actually okay I, I do remember because I remember the first stream game was actually at would would have been two years ago this weekend. Yeah, because initially you started streaming your painting minis. Yeah, um and you had I these was great minis. Like,
0: conversation streams while you were painting yeah, minis. Yeah, I remember and those. you know
1: and you know something the first stream game I, I am pretty sure that the first stream game I ever did was at Blue Box Con um two years ago and it was it was set in the world of Greyhawk and it was a CNC game. Um uh, and it was the it wasn't the first time that I had new players, but I had a far a party of four people um and uh none of them had ever played CNC before. Mm-hmm. So, but before that, uh, I, I still want to say that's probably the first Greyhawk CNC game I uh did. Uh, mostly because of the fact that when I started Friday Night Crusades, um, you know, the Friday CNC game, we started off in World Verde. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. and we you know, we were using their setting mostly because the the idea was it was supposed to be almost zero work for the players. And as little work for me as possible. Right. So I decided I was going to use one of their, mo- uh, go through one of their module series that would take the, the players all the way up to whatever level. And I I made the mistake of doing that before I read the modules through. And I didn't realize how old school their modules were. But there's a heck of a lot going on. And the players were asking me questions that I honestly, I was not familiar with aired <laughs> at the time. So yeah, I just it's didn't a, have answers. I didn't have answers to yeah, it's a detailed yeah.
0: world. Schnaut really built a beauty there. That's a masterpiece. Um, absolutely. In fact, that would be a good episode to do again with you, is to con- compare and contrast aired to Greyhawk. So we'll have to put that in our in our envelope and keep that for later. But sure. Yeah. Um,
1: so you know, eventually, I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I don't remember how long it's been, but they've been there for a, you know. We at some point, I had them go through. We went through like three or four, three or four of the modules. And at the end of which I had them go through a portal and find themselves in the world of Greyhawk. Yeah. And we've been there ever since. Yeah. Well, let's, let's go ahead and dive in a little bit on the, on the Friday game. Um, Where did they first
0: come to Greyhawk from aired? Like, how did you get them there?
1: Um, There was, I, I, there was a portal and I don't remember if, if if there was some kind of mirror found in one room uh that they were in you know that the party had found themselves in they had just killed the the bbg for that particular adventure and i think the port i think it was supposed to be a portal i don't remember where the portal was supposed to go to uh but i was like you know time time to uh you know change things around and they ended up finding themselves in the city of hardby Hmm. okay um which you know made for made for an interesting change of pace, and it, it it made it a lot easier because suddenly I could answer all the questions that they needed answering.
0: It's <laughs> awesome. Uh,
1: this This game was supposed to be a very very, the 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 for a little bit of context when this game started. Uh, the initial plan was we were bored on a Friday, and I was like, well, you know, how about it, you know look into running a game for whoever wants to show up. We'll make it as easy as possible. We're going to use CNC. So player's handbook is all you need. It's free. And otherwise, all you need to be is able to listen and listen into discord and preferably talk. But if you can only use uh, chat, that's fine, too. We can we can make that work. And we'll roll some dice, kill some monsters. Yeah. I was not prepared for the level of role play that everyone decided to do in the midst of all this and all the questions that I got asked. (laughs) Uh, It was supposed to be a relaxing thing. Uh, it was one of those things where it started off. I, I, you know, I went through like the first month. I wasn't sure this was going to take off because I had like between two and four players and suddenly it took off and I was getting six to seven people regularly. Uh, we're now in the, you know, eight to 10 players regularly each week. I've had as many as 13. Holy cow. Um, so, yeah, it, it was those things where they were role playing and they were asking deeper questions that I had ever planned on doing. Um, and I was like, I need to make an adjustment because I, I, I don't know enough to find those answers. I was like, let me switch you to a world that I understand right. better and I can also freely create in because a lot of my stuff in World Gray Hawk, I, I, you know, I've had no issue with just, um, homebrewing adventures from start to finish Mm -hmm. yeah that was one of the
0: things i wanted to ask was like you know on a percentage basis when you're when you're running um castles and crusades and Greyhawk, how much do you stick to canon and
1: how much do you make it rob's world um well first of all uh for me canon is an ugly word (laughs) (laughs) tell me more about that uh uh, to me canon is uh, to me canon is may as well be a four-letter word I like the term and, and the funny thing is the term I like it better is a four-letter word in reality, and that's lore. Okay. Yeah. Because lore is there. Um, if there's anything that the last you know few years have taught us, is everything that you've uh you know been brought up to believe may or may not be true. Things that you thought were for certain to rock. wrong. Uh, you know, it's all fake, depending fake on news, who's right. Who's who's <laughs> it all depends on who's who's you know who's telling the story. So in a world like the world of Greyhawk, it leaves me a lot of space to add the things that I need to add. Right. Like, so I had a, um, even before CNC, I had a 5E campaign uh, that I was running for, um, you know, for friends. Some of my college buddies and my girlfriend, you know, was running a game for them. Um, and that just picked up uh, picked up again recently. Um, but over the pandemic, we had a smaller group of them together and i did a completely 95 percent homebrew thing in the world of greyhawk um and it was in 5e because that's what everybody wanted to play at the time Mm -hmm. and so you know canon canon for greyhawk at best you're going to get whatever you know up to whatever's in third edition um and even then and even then the people who were doing it in third edition were still more you know, preserve the old, you know, 1E, 2E mm-hmm. version of Greyhawk. Yeah, there wasn't uh, a lot, lot
0: new after second edition, really.
1: But I've got people who wanted to play 5E. So I need to figure out, well, how does a Goliath, I had one, you know, one player want to be a Goliath. I had a person want to be a, um, a, what was it, a Dragonborn. Hmm. And I mean, one of the things you read the, you know, you go back and read the Gold Box or even the Folio, Uh, you realize that it's very, very human, uh, human centric. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, even, even though you know that there are lots of dwarves and lots of elves and you've got the kingdom of Selene and such um, it's very much told from the view of the humans, Mm -hmm. which to me makes it a lot easier when you take that point of view and you, you know, go through what you know today to say that, well, there's just plenty out there that no one talks about. The, the things right. that no one talks about, you know, the Goliaths that come down from the mountain because, well, they might as well be giants for any, you know, anyone who cares uh, for dragonborn. I kind of did, uh, and I kind of made this a core thing for the campaign. I decided that, well, you know, the Darrow um in gray, the world of Greyhawk were a soul creation. Mm. Soul basically took dwarves and, um you know, tortured or whatever. And, Ended up creating the Darrow out of them and basically an insane race of, uh, you know, dark dwarves. Uh, why couldn't they do the same thing with dragon eggs? Sure. Uh, kind of do kind, you know, kind of borrow a little bit from the Dragonlance storyline. Mm. Um, but, and what, what I did was I, I was like, all right, well, they're going to be a soul creation as well. And part of the, the idea is that the dragonborn that are still, under their control, or still, you know, that are not NPCs still have that feral aspect to them. They're mm. they're intelli- they're intelligent, but they had not they have not evolved beyond their you know beyond their programming, or they're still kind of under the control and such. The they haven't, well, those they the haven't compar- lost play-
0: the monster aspect of being a dragon. Yeah. In other words, okay, yeah, the,
1: yeah, and and the player the ones that are player characters though they've kind of managed to get escape start their own you know start their own colonies and such and they've basically they've evolved past their uh you know past their what their creators had intended they were no longer under control and that ended up kind of, kind of uh for the one character it ended up becoming a huge personal story arc you know where the heck did i come from and right. and such why am i like him um, and so forth Yeah, but but canon you know canon dragonborn blah you yeah. <laughs> know <laughs> which, which, which I, I kind of I love, you know, it's like everybody's like anthropomorphic uh creatures and dragonborn and this and that, and it's like, I'm like, yeah, no, you, but but you have a cream and everybody's good with it, you know, right? Anyway, yeah, insect, yeah, it's insect player characters, great yeah, dragon player, car- what?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny,
1: uh, it, it's all depending on what you find cool. Let's 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 be honest, yep, yep, so.
0: When you brought the Friday Night Game into Greyhawk, mm-hmm. you brought them to Hardby, which is the very northern uh, tip of the uh, the big what is that Woolly Bay there, um, mm-hmm. which is a uh, chunk of uh, the Sea of Gernot, Um So due south of the Free City, and yes. boy, is there a lot of stuff to do in Hardby.
1: Yeah, Hardby is an interesting location in the world of Greyhawk. Um, it is it is criminally underdescribed mm. um, the best, the best descriptions of Harvey. There's two of them. And unfortunately they don't mesh. The first one I found somebody had written up Hardby in the, uh, one of the earth journals. Um, I don't remember which particular one they did a whole thing on it. And then it was finally in one of the dragon magazines. I don't remember if it was before it started becoming polyhedron or what, but it was in one of the dragon magazines. And, you know, I, kind of consider it the official guide to Hardby, Mm -hmm. but you look at where Hardby is and maybe it's because of the fact that they suddenly decided that, you know, when Carl Sargent, uh, did from the ashes, they kind of made it a protectorate of, um, the free city. You know, the free city kind of took the city over and such. Um, for me, that, that, that's a fun aspect to play up is the, you know, Harvey is not, things are not copacetic there. Right. Um, but you have a city that is at the mouth of the river leading into lead – at, it's at the mouth of Selentan leading up – that leads up to the Free City and then up to the near-day of Africa. Yep. You've got the Wild Coast just across the thing. And, I mean, you've got a city that's of huge strategic importance that has nothing, next to nothing written about
0: it. Right. Which is a clean uh, slate for any DM with an imagination.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, they. I, I have to go back and look at the gold box uh, because you know they meant. I don't. I actually I don't even think Hardby itself is listed as its own thing in the gold box. Um, but you know, it, it's it's actually one of the few female led cities or uh, uh, you know countries mm-hmm. that really that and Celine. There, there may be a couple that I'm forgetting, but those are the you know those are the two main but they don't even name, uh, you know, they don't even name who the leader is. Right. It's, it's this kind of like Forgotten City, huge strategic importance, no details. Make of that what you, you know, do with it what you will. And it's, it's a perfect, you know, f- for a DM who doesn't want to have to worry. And, you know, the constant thing about people getting into like Greyhawk or any published world is, well, what if I do something wrong? Well, right. when there's no published content, you're free to do with what you want with yeah, it, because there
0: isn't a wrong, because there's not a right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I, I'm of the opinion that there's no wrong anyway, but you know that that doesn't, you know, that doesn't necessarily make everyone feel good. But you know, you start off with the city where there's no real details. Have at it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I'm in the uh, the gold box now. The book that came with that, and you are man, you are dead on right. There is nothing, no mention of hardy.
1: I, I went looking for. it. I, I think I went looking from from the ashes as well, um, and I I forgot to check. I forgot to check what there was in the Greyhawk Wars bo- uh, box set, but I don't think there's anything in the Living Greyhawk Gazetteer either.
0: I'm in there right now. I was just curious and uh, scrolling and scrolling, and I'm not uh, CNC Grand March Greyhawk. High folk. Yeah, there's nothing in there on Hardby either. So yeah, and that's that's what makes it kind of cool because it's it's a clean slate, like you said. Um, there is a, a module. I'm looking at Anna's map. Uh, there is a module set uh, southeast of Hardby, down the uh, eastern coast of Woolly Ghost, Bay, the Ghost, Ghost Tower, Ta- of Inverness. Tower of Inverness. Yeah,
1: interesting. One, interestingly enough, one of the uh, first edition modules I do not have. I've got to I've got to add that to my collection. Cause... Sure. Yep. So where is the group now?
0: Playing Castles and Crusades in Greyhawk. Mm-hmm. So you're you know, you're two years or so into this game, started and aired, entered Greyhawk and Hardby. Where where are they located now and what are they
1: up to? Right, right now they're a they are in the middle of the temple of elemental evil. Um, I actually have two separate groups that are in the temple of elemental evil. My my game that in-person game that picked back up again, they were on the way to the temple uh when things were suspended. They had just finished off the moat house. Mm-hmm. Um and you know they're 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 at the temple now uh but the Friday night group is in the temple of elemental evil uh because they decided that was better than facing the evil that they unwittingly or unfortunately helped unleash we'll they were see. in the city of hardby they were investigating some ruins in the bright desert and um they might have accidentally unleashed or brought a undead army uh led by some kind of mummy uh you know oh mummy king to frazier yeah yeah it, 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 <laughs> basically a, de- a dead city you know a dead city raised up and all the undead and uh you know they 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 went back to harby to kind of fill you know get get the heck out of dodge went back to harby um because in castles and crusades playing around with undead is kind of like playing around with undead in first and second edition you can find yourself losing levels yeah. losing uh ability points and all kinds of fun stuff brutal, so brutal. um they were in the end trying to find something else to do and a con just mentioned cultist activity and next thing i know they were on their way to Hamlet. and oh, look look at the time <laughs> time to go <laughs> get us get us as far away from Hardby right. as we yeah. possibly can which That's is awesome. great for me because i i'm when i run a game just because they decided not to do something doesn't mean there's not going to be consequences later. Right. They can That's they right. can choose when they're going to uh, deal with that undead situation, um, but they the undead have their own plans.
0: And they have a long memory, the undead, do. Yes.
1: <laughs> so that
0: was one of the things I wanted to really dig into with you today is um, and you got us there nicely by mentioning a couple of classic D&D modules, Temple of Elemental Evil, and of course that yes. which precedes it, the Village of Hamlet. How... Yes challenging or simple is it to take those modules and convert them or run them in castles and crusades
1: uh, uh honestly it's it's kind of trivial I, the, right now i have more issues with the fact that first of all the party is a little over leveled and they're kind of oversized so mm. i have to throw additional things at them but it, it's it's trivially easy to um rearrange uh, in terms because most of the monsters in like uh, temple of elemental evil they're all standard D monsters there's right. there's nothing really oddball so i can find a cnc equivalent um and if i want to make them you know if i want to spice it up a little i can change some stuff based on the even if i didn't have the monsters and treasure book which is the cnc version of monster manual um all i really need to do is flip the C. Um, right. I just you know just take the AC subtract you know t- start with the number twenty and then subtract whatever the AD and D A C is and I end up with the uh, Castle and Crusades AC because it's ascending AC.
0: Right.
1: That's, I mean that everything yeah, else. Nice. Um, the saving throws in Castle and Crusades is a different matter um, because of the fact that it's based on you know it's based on ability checks. So I'd have to go look at various, um, you know, various traps and things or various saves and decide what the challenge level would be that, that numerically speaking, that is the most difficult component is deciding challenge levels uh, for
0: various things. The old D and D saves were more contextual, you know, wands, staffs and rods, you know, the source of the, the harm um, versus the, cnc or you know the more recent editions of D are based on attribute um yes. straight up so a little bit different that way but um yeah that was one of the things that i you know i'd never played cnc until i sat at your table um at uh, gary con and i'm maybe help me remember i'm almost positive that no one else at the table had played castles and crusades
1: um at that particular table is that that sound about right there might have been one but i you know something i don't i don't think so i don't i i actually i might have had I, of the three games i ran i might have had one or two guys who played cnc before mm-hmm. uh, but you know i'm used to it I, I estimate in the last three years i've probably or last two and a half years or whatever it's been i estimate i've probably taught about 30 people how to yeah play the you game. should
0: be getting some kind of a fee I think from <laughs> from Troll Lord Games because you, in my mind's eye anyway, from a, you know a branding perspective, you're kind of the CNC guy uh, in the world of Greyhawk community. Um, you've brought that to us, and I guess the reason I bring all this up is is um, you yeah, know I don't. I'm kind of like you, man. I'm just I don't know. I like D and D, and I like the 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 magic and the um, just the whole D and D vibe, and I'm just you know. I don't play many other RPG games. Um, And so I was like, oh man, I want to try CNC. And it was so easy to play. Um, Now you had, you know, taken the opportunity to create character sheets for us. So all we had to do was kind of sit down and go and you kind of coached us through, but before too long, I, I didn't need a lot of coaching on how to mechanically navigate my character um, and I noticed the same for the other players. And then also in the second game we played with, uh, with Chris and Carl and the, mm-hmm. the other fellow that we met kind of along the way who joined us, um, nobody really struggled trying to, you know, grab the mechanics and, and play. It wasn't cumbersome at all. And I thought that was a really cool thing. So if you want to try a little different and feel old school D and D with maybe not having to deal with things like Thacko and, and, uh, all of that, uh, CNC is a really great way to go to get that kind of that older school stripped down feel
1: now i and, and to be fair i also i also tend to strip things down even further for my friday night game we're extremely rules light like i throw mm-hmm. about a half dozen things or a dozen things just completely out the window i don't even consider them um one shots i'll go a little closer to how it's meant to go mm-hmm. uh but even then i i'll still keep things a bit simpler i, I i'm not as concerned as they would be, like if I was running a full on campaign, there's more stuff that I would pay attention to, but even then it, it's still not anywhere near, you know, it's n- not nothing that's going to so slow things down or make it that much more difficult to understand. And I mean, one to me, the most important thing is I keep telling my players, don't feel constrained to what's on your character sheet. Um, you know, big a big thing back in the old AD one two. If it wasn't on your sheet, you couldn't. You know, it was considered yeah, that you couldn't
0: do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's know? right. You're right.
1: And and CNC doesn't go because it does attribute checks. Um, it doesn't go in that direction. Now there there is rules in place to make sure that you're not um overtaking a class um right, another right. class. Yeah. Um, you know that that's basically, you know, most of the CNC checks, you're adding your level to it um, regardless of, you know, regardless of whether it's a skill that you have or not, um, unless that skill is handled by another character class. Right. Because you they don't want, you know, they don't want you, a class that uh, doesn't normally pick locks, to be able to pick locks on the, you know, level of a thief or a rogue right. or such. Yeah. Um, so the, as long as it doesn't it interfere, it, you know, yeah. you, you have... As better good chances as anyone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
0: yeah, as a, as a newer player to CNC, um, it was pretty straightforward to pick it up. So there was one other thing I wanted to cover, um, with this uh, topic of CNC and Greyhawk, um, and that is spells. You uh, you recently had a stream on the Phantom NJ Twitch channel where yes. you were talking about converting one e two e spells. To CNC, because I think some of the best flavor in D D are the very specific spells, uh spell effects, and particularly the ones that you mentioned that that are uh named after a character, you know, Ota Luke or Mordenkainen mm-hmm. or um you know Melf's magic arrow or acid arrow, you know, and so forth and so on. So tell us a little bit about your your conversion process there from 1E2E to CNC.
1: So I, the the ones that I'm starting with and um, I, I I'm starting with these mostly because of the fact that a lot of the ones that were like in the player's handbook still exist. They're just, they'll have the name scraped off. Like acid arrow is a spell everywhere. I mean, right. it's, it's just a baseball as opposed to Mel's acid arrow, which is what I would call it. If I gave it to a player, um, you know, floating disc, same thing. Um, so I started with the Greyhawk adventures book that has a whole lot of spells for, from the different mages. Um, and they're ones that are not found anywhere else. Um, they might, they might've appeared in a dragon magazine, or I, I'm not entirely sure where they were all compiled from, mm-hmm. where they were, they were all written from scratch. Um, but I was like, you know, it's not, it shouldn't be that hard to convert these over. Um, you know, I, I just, what I wanted to do really, the main thing I wanted to do was get it in a format so that it matches the format of the CNC spells, mm-hmm um so you know the casting time the uh making sure that the area of effect was the same and then for spells that had like an attack component to it uh make sure that it read the same way um it you know there are certain spells where it you know it's a thing that has a certain ac and uh, so i need to make sure that the ac reads in ascending format mm-hmm. And go over those little things so that because I've got, you know, right now in my Friday night game, I have two players who are actively playing uh, wizards and I have uh, players uh, playing an illusionist. And I want to be able to give them more spells than just what's there. Right. So Um, let me ask you
0: this about spells and classes in CNC. Is it like D&D where wizards are scribing spells into their books and memorizing like early D&D? Same for illusionists, but then clerics. And paladins maybe pray for their spells or receive divine inspiration
1: for their spells. You know, how does that? So interestingly enough, um, paladins uh, in the base CNC game do not get spells. Okay. They. I mean, I, I'm considering what to do because I haven't had any characters get to that level yet, um, but I'm considering whether or not to give them spells when they hit ninth level mm-hmm. um, for the ones that do. I think Rangers in AD&D got them at eighth level. Uh, Rangers also were weird. One thing,
0: yeah, took a long time,
1: and they were weird in AD&D because they also got they got like mage, wizard, and druid spells, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going that far. I might give them druid spells, but if I if I go that route, Um, but yeah, no clerics, uh, clerics don't have to write them in the in a book or anything. Okay well yeah mages have their mages have their spell books uh just as normal uh, are there, yeah they are there have scrolls and stuff also hmm? are there schools of magic uh no, they don't have schools of magic uh, I've thought you know it's interesting they do have an elemental spell list so i I've thought about playing around and I have to go back and look at my second edition books and figure out if I want to do like elemental classes um you know instead of doing. And it wouldn't be a straight up wizard with an elemental specialty. I don't think I want to go that route. But have you know elemental wizards? And I, I may want to go back and do that sooner rather than later since they're in a temple of elemental evil. And that might be right. a fun yeah. NPC to throw at them.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Interesting. So okay, so we've covered a lot of ground. Um as a kind of a way of wrapping up, um, one of the things we really like to do on the uh on the podcast is and you've already kind of been doing this is giving DMs tools and ideas and resources. So if you were a DM, who's pretty well-versed in Dungeons and Dragons, but you want to give CNC a try, um, what resources would you recommend in order to get started?
1: Um, I mean, for starters, you know, they're, they're still giving away, despite the fact that they're now on the ninth or 10th printing, the, But the OGL, they're making changes for the OGL, uh, changing some of the verbiage and such. Uh, But the seventh printing is still available for free from their website. Um, The third printing of Monsters and Treasures um, is also available for free. The current, I think the current printing is five. I don't know if they've done six yet. I think six might be coming out. Uh, But there's a third printing of Monsters and Treasures. And literally, that's all you need. Um, You know, go through the player's handbook. It, you know, as soon as you realize how, you know, the differences in ascending AC and how that works. If you have D&D stuff, you don't even really need the monsters and treasure. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, you can use your old, you know, old school books um, and just, you know, fix them for CNC, you know, pretty easily, but go through it, read it. Um, That's, that's all you need. I mean, that we for, I, you know, I, I have all of my players. Uh, for the longest time, we were just players handbook only, because I didn't want them to feel they had to spend money to play in the right, game.
0: Right. Yep. Nice.
1: Um, you know, eventually one of our players was kind enough to spring for the adventurers backpack, which added some more classes. Not of not all of which I'm allowing. Uh, some of are, some of them are pretty cool, but some of them don't fit the style of game. But it also added back, literal backpacks for class specific. Or role specific type backpacks with things you know filled with the equipment that they might need, mm-hmm. uh, which was you know really cool. And add more spells as well. But player's handbook is all you need, and it, it's 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 a great read. It'll you know it, it does it it it's very easy to read. There's great artwork in it, um, and you know you'll you'll be flying right along in no yeah, time. Okay,
0: so why? Why would I want to play C&C versus D&D? Do you have like a little elevator pitch on the benefits or why are you enjoying so much C&C versus D&D? Um, I got
1: frustrated with 5E um, early on. I, I mean, I, I I played 4E. I also DM 4E. And there's a lot of things I like about 4E. Um, but when 5e came out, my frustrations were enough that when everybody else decided they wanted to switch, I was okay with it. Um, 5e, I liked at the start. Uh, for me, it started falling apart when my group during the pandemic got to about level eight or nine. I only had four players, um, I had a, a dwarven forged main cleric, a fighter, I think. I don't remember what the fighter's subclass was. It might have been like Sentinel or something. We're using a halberd, and, um, and I had a source, a storm sorcerer, and I had a wizard that was using one of the subclasses created by Joe Block. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It would, basically they were the Book of Rory, and I Joe's stuff was great for five E in Greyhawk. Gave it flavor. It was exactly what the player uh, player wanted. Uh, Information based wizard. Um when they got to like level eight or nine, it was getting to the point where balancing encounters for them was near impossible Uh, because I always felt that I was walking the fine line of either having an encounter that was just going to TPK them or they were going to walk through it. And it literally, the only difference between those two choices was whether or not the players were paying attention. And they were mm-hmm. very very good tactically right so most times they were paying attention and it made life real difficult by the time they got to like level 10 or 11 it was to the point where i nearly had to create encounters specifically to counter the things that they could do yeah
0: yeah
1: and that gets into the get uncomfortable really
0: really powerful
1: and, and it gets especially when they're played well i and, and you know the, yeah. this is a group that nine you know tw- 19 out of 20 times was going to do the right things and have the right plan, and I it got into that uncomfortable realm where it became it had to become DM versus player, otherwise, it was going to you know they were it was going to be impossible to find a mix that was going to challenge, them. right. And I had to you know it, it just I, I didn't like the feel of it, and I wanted to get back to something simple. Now, unfortunately, some of my players in that group some of them would play cnc and i think some of them have played cnc uh, elsewhere but there are people that were not going to want to play cnc because they like the 5e they like the you know building different characters with different um you know different subclasses and all that that's fine i mean i still enjoy running the game at lower levels um i'm enjoying running it for them again because the you know the resumed game is back to like third level uh but at the high levels it just it 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 was not fun for me anymore yeah and i wanted to get back to a game that where it was more easily understood how things were going to change when they got to certain levels um you know i I,
0: that's that's i think a failing of five E's. it gets really complex at high levels both for player um and DM um, and trying to not that you're trying to TPK your party, but you want them to be a little concerned about how this might end and feel challenged. And it's really hard to do that. The higher they go in fifth edition. Yeah. And
1: I'm a DM who doesn't fudge roles. Right. Right. So, you know, and I don't want to get into the habit of fudging roles. I'm it. It's one of those things where I don't like the idea that I'm choosing actively choosing whether or not the player character is going to live or die um and once you start to me i feel like once you start fudging roles, well anytime a character does die well then that's on me because i chose to let them die
0: right 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 yeah boy that makes sense yep yeah interesting all right sir man you are a wealth of experience and knowledge uh, when it comes to cnc and greyhawk uh it's something that's always impressed me about you um is what i've learned from you watching you play or hearing you uh you know chairing or being on a panel on a, on a uh, Twitch stream. So I appreciate you, you know, sharing that with our listeners. Uh, and I know that they will appreciate that as well. So to put a bow on this thing, Rob, uh, where can people find you? Uh, where can they see you play? Tell us a little bit about your channel, all that good stuff.
1: Um, so you can find me, uh, you know, first, of my Twitch uh, Twitch stream, as you mentioned, is Phantom NJ. Um, I've been trying to be better about streaming every Thursday. Of course, this Thursday, I will be on my way down to nashville for blue box tom three yep, yep. um so uh but i try to do every thursday somewhere around 7 p.m eastern uh, you can find me on um as far as running game anyone who's part of the community is welcome to join the blue box rpg discord we're always welcoming new people especially if you watch the streams as well um i, I run the game on friday nights we we are happy to have people listen in Normally each week we have anywhere between one and four people listening in and not playing. You can create a character if you want and jump in. Um, You know, you don't, there's no requirement to be there every week. There's no requirement to be on time. There's no requirement that you have to stay till the end. It's, it's literally the easiest game you will ever get to be a part of. All you have to do is roll up a character. And if that's really a sticking point, I'll roll it up for you. You just tell me what you want. Nice.
0: And It's a great, um, great way to learn a new system.
1: Uh, so on Monday nights, um, I have been playing some Pathfinder 2E on Roll for Perception, R-O-L-E, hmm. uh, which has been a lot of fun. It's, it's become my new crunchy game of choice. I'm going to take the plunge into running it at some point, um, You know, trying it as opposed to doing 5E. I'm hoping to eventually get my players to agree to try it, maybe after our current campaign comes to a close. Mm-hmm. Um my in-person game, that is. Um on Wednesday nights, I am uh the co-host of Lore Masters Arcanum on Blue Box RPG, uh where we talk D. This week we're talking Dragon magazine, um, and how you know interesting things that we found there through the years. Uh but you know all different topics related to RPGs from running it, being a player, role playing, you name it, we we will talk about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and then, a good, uh that's a good show.
1: And and Thursday nights have also been late night, nine p.m. Eastern. Uh, been playing on Rainbows and Razorblades, R and R production on Twitch, uh, Dragon Bait, which is a game that Free League Publishing is bringing over from, I believe, Sweden.
0: Yeah, yep. uh, Sweden it,
1: indeed. It, yeah, it's uh, it's it's fun. We're having a lot of fun. Our group is um, uh, one of the uh, playable races is mallards. So our group jumped on that, and yes, we are all ducks. Interesting. It is a wild and wacky time, as one might expect. Yeah. Uh, And that one is probably going to go until like mid-July, I think, where you're scheduled to finish up. Nice.
0: So, man, you're all over the place doing all kinds of things.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at phantomnj__dnd. Though I've been a lot quieter there. Things have just been, it's been a lot just the ttrpg space there has just been kind of weird so not there as much but i still try to post there when i can yeah very good
0: well we appreciate you coming on and i think that would be a fun chat to um, discuss compare and contrast aired with greyhawk Um, there's some similarities and obviously some differences Uh, i think it's cool what uh, mr Chenault and company at troll lord games have been able to build, especially given his relationship, um, with Gary Gygax. Um, that that's a cool thing. So, and that, I think that one of the main things he built into CNC, he, you know, he clearly took from Gary and that was make it your own. Um, yes. you know, uh, make it your own game. It's your table, uh, run it your way, play it your way. And I love that. That's one of the things I love most about, uh, you know, a good TTRPG is, is customization. So, all right, Rob, well, uh hopefully we'll see you again on Greycast soon, and uh I'd like to thank all of our listeners and uh gosh, while you're out there uh on adventure, be kind and be safe, and we'll talk to you all next time. Thanks, Scott. You are welcome, sir. You've been listening to the Graycast Podcast, where we explore the world of Greyhawk one podcast at a time. Hayas and I are excited to share our passion for the world of Greyhawk with each of you. We'll drop episodes every other Monday featuring all things Greyhawk. Please refer us to all your cool, nerdy Greyhawkian friends and allies, even your most hated enemies at the gate. You can find our podcast on Spotify and be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at GrayCast576 to keep up with GrayCast. Until next time, remember, it's a dangerous business going out your door. You step onto the road and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to.